0: Morning, welcome. I'm so thankful for this worship team up here. Can we can we honor them? Can we honor them this morning? We're so thankful, just such beautiful, even beyond talent, it's not just talent, it's just hearts that are ablaze, hearts that are on fire. So we're thankful for that. We're thankful for, for continuing just to serve us. Next week, uh, Joe and Suzanne Hayes are going to be coming and, and serving us in worship. Many of you know them or know that name, As One House of Prayer. Just some beautiful couple. Uh, they love the Lord so much, and they're so gifted in, in ministering to us. And then after that, uh, our King's Church band has kind of kind of come back and um, and lead and minister. So it's, it's, it's good. It's like every week is another buffet of just God's presence. It's beautiful. So, hey, real quick, let me just hit a couple things here uh, before we get into this. Um, again, welcome. If you're new to King's Church, we're so, we're so thankful. I'm going to stand still. I'm sorry. Our camera people, I drive them crazy. Stay in put. If, if, you're, if, you're, if you're new to King's Church, we'd love to know a little bit more about you. You've got a connection card there that you receive on your way, and would you fill that out? So let us know a little bit more about you, how we can follow up with you. We've got a gift for you after the service too at the big desk outside in the atrium. Bring your card, we've got a gift, we wanna get it in your hands. Also KC people, if you've got any updates to your contact information, new email address, new phone number, new address. Uh, if you've got any prayer requests, any of that kind of stuff that you wanna communicate, uh, with our leadership team, you can write that on there. You can hand that to myself, Megan, Chuck, any of us, or you can just put them also in the boxes there at the back And those boxes. are also places where you can put your gifts, your tithes, and your offerings, and we're, uh, we're thankful for uh, just for God's faithfulness in 2020. Uh, of all the years, you know, to be a young church plant, 2020 was not the best year, but God has been so faithful, and we turned a corner last August, and God has been just through your obedience and faithfulness and giving. Um, we, we, we've ended the year uh, just a, a lot better than, than when we started, to be honest, and we've got some amazing renters that are occupying some space. Uh, we're, we're finalizing a 2021 budget that we want to um, give before you so that you can take a look at that as well. We've got a Vision Sunday coming up on on February 7th, just a few weeks away, where we're going to cast a vision for the new new year and share some things that have happened um, in 2020. Um, but a couple things this week that we want to make sure that you're aware of. Um, this Wednesday, midweek services, we've got a prayer uh, our prayer room is going to be open. I think we're going to be shifting from the smaller prayer room in the back to right here. That's our plan. We're, we, we, we're, we're, we're trying to make that happen. We can have some live worship during our, our prayer time from 6 to 8. We've got youth going on. We've got child, uh, children stuff happening. We also have Surfing the Book uh, Bible study class with Miss Sharon is teaching that in the back. So you're invited to come and be a part of uh, those on Wednesday night as well. And then Saturday, we've got a work day, 8.30, I think, until noon. And it takes a lot of, a lot of uh, blood sweat uh, to, to, to keep this ship moving. Um, but it's a lot of fun. So we've got some, some, some projects that we need to take care of. They're all inside, I think, which is good. But we need all kinds of help. Even if you don't have a particular skill uh, with anything, we have lots of things that we want to get done. We're going to provide child care, and we're going to provide lunch. How do you say no to that? You get to hang out with some of the coolest people in the world, your kids are taken care of. You get a free lunch. That's, that's, a, that's a no-brainer. So please come this Saturday, 8.30 until noon. Miss Maggie? You... Friday, Kingsman. Kingsman also, Friday, 7.30. That's right. We want to see you here. It's good. One hour. So, Okay. All right, friends. Get your Bibles if you would. We're going to be um, kicking off a, uh, a series on the prophet Samuel, the making of a prophet. We're going to be kind of taking a look at his story, um, kind of beginning this week. We are, of course, in the book of the Bible named after this guy, First Samuel, or 1 Samuel, depending on how you want to call it, First Samuel chapter 1. Go ahead and turn there. Um, if, you've got, if you don't have a Bible, there's some in the pews in front of you, but most of you sh- uh, might have one on your phone. You can download a great app to read the Bible. Um, but we'll try to get the, 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 the scriptures up here on the stage as well. I've been, I've been chewing on this story for quite a while and I intentionally piggybacked it after last week's um, message on, as, as Chuck mentioned, Nadab and Abihu. Um, both of these were sort of young, young individuals, young men encountering the presence of the Lord. But both, uh, and, and both of them destined for greatness, but of course two different trajectories. And this is on, this is on my heart because, and you can see the subtitle there, the making of a prophet. This is on my heart because I I believe that God is is putting his finger on us to raise up a new generation of of prophets, a new new prophetic generation, uh, both, you know, in our own families with our kids, but also just as a church. So I want us to look at this, not just through the lens of ancient history. Oh, that's great. Wasn't Samuel? All the cool stories, but I want us to sort of put in the mindset of, how? What are the ingredients for a prophetic generation, in, in, in the image, in the model, in the pattern of Samuel? So that's kind of my heart as we look at that. So if we can do that together, I would be very honored. I'm very thankful for uh, just for, for you guys this morning. First uh, Samuel chapter one. Give you a tiny bit of background. Samuel is the last of the judges. There's a book of Bible called the Judges. The Judges were not judges with the black robes, with the bench. They were uh, deliverers. They were essentially leaders, governors or rulers that God raised up at different times in Israel's history. This was after Joshua has died, you know, many years and and, and Israel needs some kind of leadership. So God would raise up uh, different leaders or judges to help rule and to help establish peace and order in the land Samuel is the last one of those. Samuel is going to be that transitional figure between the judges and between the kings. In fact, Samuel will be the one who anoints the very first king over the people of Israel, and his name was Saul. That's right. So Samuel, Samuel he's, he's, he, he functions almost as like all of these incredible spiritual offices all rolled up into one. He's a prophet that we know. He's really one of the first of the major prophets. He is a priest, as we're going to see, and he also functions a lot like a king or as one of the judges. So prophet, priest and king, think, keep that in mind. It comes back later on. But Samuel's going to kind of wrap up all of these things together as he as he as he sort of as God raises him up to be a leader over the people of of of, of Israel. Um, The Bible also tells us that, we're going to look at this in a little bit, that he is is a Nazarite. His mother Hannah, we're going to see, consecrated him, made a Nazarite vow before the Lord. And Nazarites were a special group of individuals that were set apart. I mean, all of God's people were to be holy, but the Nazarites were like above and beyond, you know. The Nazarites, they don't cut their hair, you know. They they, they don't drink wine or even eat grapes or even eat grape skin, no raisins, none of that kind of stuff. They don't touch any dead bodies, human bodies, animal bodies, nothing. You know, and Samuel was, was sort of one of these individuals here. So I want to look at chapters 1, 2, and 3. We're not going to kind of go through verse by verse. Don't worry, because there's a few things I just want to pull out to us as we get going in this, if we can do that. Um, and we're not going to read all the verses, but we're going to jump in here to, um, to chapter 3. There's a man named um, Elkanah. The Bible says he was an Ephraimite, which which means he was sort of from a region where there was a lot of of people from the tribe of Ephraim. But we also know later on that he wasn't of that tribe. He was actually a Levite. And if you know any of church history, you'll know that Levites were what? They were the priestly line. They were the priestly tribe. And Elkanah had two wives. One of them was uh, a young woman named Hannah. And Hannah and Elkanah had a very special relationship. It says this, jump to verse 5, um, or verse 4. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of, his, of the meats to his wife Peninnah and to all of her sons and daughters. That's his first wife. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. So she gets twice the meat, you ever go to those restaurants, you can like get a big sandwich and like you can pay a dollar extra and get like twice the protein. Hannah gets twice the protein. Her husband loved her. Her husband saw there's something just, he saw in her uh, th- this broken heart. And as the Bible says this, that the Lord had closed her womb. And, and this continues a long line in the Old Testament of women who struggled with infertility. Meg and I, we struggled with infertility for what, 13 years. You know, some of you have struggled with that. Some of you still might be struggling with it. And, but there's something like this long line of, 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 of these women, you know, the, the matriarchs of the faith. You know, Sarah and, and, and Rebecca and Rachel all had, un, had infertility until God supernaturally opened their wombs. And Hannah is sort of a, in that line, you know. We don't know why, but sometimes, it's, it's almost like sometimes the Lord has to close our womb so that he can open our eyes. So He wanted something supernatural about this birth. He wanted something to be so unique about this that he, for, for that season, he closes her womb. And it leads to this. Verse 10, it says, She prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. Oh, this Bible drives me crazy. Every time I, every time I stop, it flips the page. All right, here we go. Um, uh, okay, so... Uh, Whenever Hannah went for the house Lord, her rival, in other words, her sister wife, provoked her till she wept and she would not eat. Her husband would say, why are you eating? You know, why, why are you downhearted? Don't, aren't I enough? I can't imagine saying that to, to, to my wife during that season of infertility. Why, why do you need kids? Isn't my love enough? <laughs> yeah. Verse 9, once they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up Now, Eli, the priest, was sitting in the chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And the implication is she does this year after year after year. Every season, not pregnant. Every season, not pregnant. Go back to the house of the Lord. Go back to the presence. God, why? What have I done? Why have you cursed me? Weeping tears just pouring out. And I'm thinking that's going to be an important ingredient in the season to come. One of my heroes, my current heroes of the faith, is a guy named Corey Russell. You know, he used to be at IHOP Kansas City, the House of Prayer in Kansas City. Now he's at Upper Room Dallas. I love listening to his teachings. Meg and I are kind of going through some live classes with him. But several months ago, he he gave this message. He talks about the three gifts that God is giving the church today. One of those is the gift of tears. One of those is the gift of tongues. And one of those is the gift of travail. Now, I'm just going to talk about that first one. We, you know, I'm not trying to make a theological statement. I want you to listen to that. But the gift of tears, and I began to think, when he was teaching, I began to think about what that means, that something is broken when our hearts are broken. Something there's breakthrough, when we allow just the tears, the brokenness of our own heart, just to be poured out before the Lord. It's almost like it waters the soil of faith, and the seed of breakthrough begins to, to, to come up. We're seeing that with Hannah. Gift of tears can lead to breakthrough. And I, I've been reading this, this this week. I've been asking the Lord, Lord, well, what, what, why are you bringing us here? What does this mean? And I, what I'm sensing is the Lord saying, I, I am wanting to birth another, a, a prophetic generation in King's Church. I've given a double portion of my love to my bride in this season. But I want the gift of her tears as I open up her womb. You guys with me on this? All right. Fast forward a few years. So the words come to pass. Just uh, and and by the way, by the way, um, this is this is a funny thing. So she makes this vow. I'm getting ahead of myself. She makes this vow. She says, "God, if you only will hear my broken heart, if you will only do this one task, I promise." She says this. I will give him, if you give me a baby, if you give me a son, I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. That's the Nazarite vow right there. She says, God, if, I pro- if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. Mamas who struggle with this, have you ever felt that way? Like you would do anything. God, I'll do anything. I'll do anything, God. Just give me this gift. And that's what she says. So Hannah receives. And then, by the way, the priest Eli sees her making her, you know, in this place and he sees her crying and she sees her, but kind of, she's not saying anything, but she's mumbling. You know, he sees the, the mouth. Maybe that's the tongues part right there. Maybe that's the tongues connection. But he looks at her and he immediately says, This woman is drunk in the house of God. And he rebukes her. He says, not so. She says, not so. She said, I've not been drinking. My heart, I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. I think that's another ingredient. This posture of just pouring it out before the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my anguish grave. Look at what Eli says. Eli says, go in peace may the God of Israel grant whatever you've asked of him. Now, I don't don't know. I can't can't read like inflections and tone of voice, but this sounds kind of like just like a brush off, doesn't it? Like it doesn't sound, it doesn't sound like, Eli, Eli doesn't say, he doesn't say, Hannah, let me pray over, let me hear what God has. I have a prophetic word for you. Let me hear what God's saying. No, he says, okay, fine, go in peace. I hope whatever you're wanting, God will give it to you. It seems that way, doesn't it? Like there's really not much faith that's there in the words. It's like, what in the world? You're the priest. You got this broken. You should be pouring into her. And he's like, oh, whatever God wants to do, whatever you ask for, I hope he does it. But here's the cool thing. That's enough for Hannah. Look at what happens to her faith. Look at what happens here. It says, she says, May your servants find favor in your eyes. May me. She's uh oh, uh oh, oh. And she says, then she went her way and ate something. Her face was no longer downcast. Something happened in that moment. She was praying and she said, this is it. This is my word for this season. I'm going to take it. And she says, okay, it's time to eat now. I've been fasting. I've been praying and pouring out my heart. But God, I see it. I see a light. I see a seed of promise. I'm going to take it. I'm going to put it in my heart, and I'm going to go. She begins to eat. She washes her. Her face is not downcast. She goes on her way. Sure enough, a season later, the boy is born. Hallelujah. Samuel comes out, the son of promise. The son of a prophetic destiny, this one who is destined to be, you know, given back to the Lord. Verse 21, her husband Elkanah went up with all of his family. Uh, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord and he will always live there. I'm betting there's a shadow over Hannah during these nine months. I bet there's a shadow even at his birth. There's a shadow over her during that first week of his new life. Over that second week, over that first month, second month, third month, there's this shadow, this awareness that this gift is not really hers. She remembers the vow that she made. She's a righteous woman. And she says, husband, you go on. When I go, he won't be coming back with me. And so she weans him. She waits until he is two, three, four years old. We don't know. But after he is weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an aphah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli. And she said to him, Pardon me, my Lord. As surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. Imagine old man Eli looking at her like, I don't know who you are. Verse 27, this is a a common, this is a, a popular verse with young parents. We put it on a plaque and we put it on our kid's wall, right? I prayed for this child and the Lord has granted me what I ask of him. I can just see her voice shaking as she's saying this. I can't imagine having to give my child away. She takes him by the hand. Maybe she holds him. I don't know. Maybe he can walk. Maybe not. Now I give him to the Lord, she says. For his whole life, he will be given. She's practiced this. She's practiced this for months. She has practiced this on the journey to Shiloh. She has prayed for the strength to get these words out of her mouth and to mean it. And she says, for the rest of his life, he is given to the Lord. We can't raise prophetic sons and daughters until we're willing to release prophetic sons and daughters. Come on, y'all. We can't raise them until we are willing to release them from our own agendas. And I want to have an agenda for my kids. I do. I want them to do great things. I want them to be educated and smart and have a skill and have a trade. I want them to have healthy relationships. I want them to do things for the kingdom of God. But even then, I have to say, God, if I'm going to raise prophetic sons and daughters, I have to release them from my agenda. If I'm giving them to you, I'm giving them to you. I think that will be true, not just of my own children, of your own children. It's also going to be of the spiritual children that God is going to be raising up in this house. As we raise up uh, prophetic sons, we have to be willing to release them from any agenda that we have. And she does. And this, these, these, these six strange words. And he worshipped the Lord there. Who is he? Y'all say, we don't know. We don't. Could be Eli. But could be Samuel. Here's why I think that. Skip on. So Hannah sings a song of praise. We're going to move over that. Go to uh, chapter 2, verse 11. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, but the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. Y'all pay attention to that line. If I could underline it, I would. The boy ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. How old was this kid? He was just recently weaned. But the Bible is going to say that line again and again and again in this story in the next couple chapters. Chapter 2, verse 18. The Bible talks a little bit about Eli's wicked sons. There's hints of, of, of the two scoundrels from last week. Nadab and Abihu, Eli's sons are no better. In fact, they're worse. They're sleeping with the the prostitutes who are outside of of the tabernacle door. A lot of of comparison there, but look at this. Uh, Look at verse 17. The sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. That's what we've been talking about. It's what Chuck was, 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 was prophesying to us just a few minutes ago. The sin of the young men were very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. These were two sons. They were Levites. They were just like Nadab and Abihu. They had grown up in the house. They had grown up in the presence of the Lord. They were destined for greatness too. They too were ordained. They too had the outfit on and the little turban that said, Holy unto the Lord. They too had the blood on their ear and the blood on their thumbs. They too knew what it was like to have a holy calling. But they were not willing to say, yes, God, I will do it according to your terms. I'll do it according to mine. Eighteen. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord. These two are treating the Lord's offering with contempt. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord. Jump on to verse 21. Good things happen. Hannah goes on to have more children. Hannah, the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Five more children. Look at this next line. Meanwhile, the boy grew up in the presence of the Lord. You guys, think about that. What is the Bible? The boy grows up in the presence of the Lord. Come on. Could we wish that for our kids? Not to grow up in the church. Bill doesn't say that he grew up in the tabernacle. It says he grew up in the presence of the Lord. I want that for my own family. I want that for you and your family. I want our kids to be so aware, so aware of the presence of God. They're like, this is it. This is where I am. I feel like I'm here night and day. I want our kids to experience this. This is where Samuel was from an early age, ministering before the Lord in the presence of the Lord day and day and night. This is essential. This is an essential ingredient. Chapter 2, verse 26, and the boy continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. Who does that sound like? It's like Jesus said the same thing about Jesus, and Jesus continued to grow in stature and wisdom and in favor with God and man. Same thing was said of Samuel. He continued to grow up like if this is the movie, this is that montage, you know, where all the seasons change and you go from the child actor to the teenage actor. This is that montage in the story. You know, the boy continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. Chapter three, the boy, here it is again, the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli. The Bible is saying the same. This is the law of repetition in Bible study. The women in embrace, they're doing some inductive Bible study in the book of John. This is one of the laws of repetition Say if something is repeated again and again and again, pay attention to it. The Bible is saying again and again and again, he is ministering before the Lord in the presence of God. I'm believing that the first calling of a prophetic generation is to minister to the heart of God. And we've got prophetic voices going all day long on the airwaves, on social media. A lot of voices speaking to a whole lot of things. And that's good because prophetic churches should speak into culture. Don't don't get me wrong. We should speak into culture. We should speak into government. We should speak into media. We should speak into education. We should speak into all of these things. The earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. Right? We are called to take dominion over the earth. To exercise authority in the realms that God has given us. But our first calling as a prophetic people is to minister to the heart of God himself. I'm afraid that many in our prophetic communities can often kind of forget that part. You know? Chapter 3. The boy ministered before the Lord under Eli. Pay attention to this line. This is really kind of interesting. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. Get your mind around this. We got so many Bibles here. We got boxes of them in some rooms down here. We got three or four in every single pew. How many of you have more than one Bible at home? Right? We are drowning like in this like sea of, 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 the, of the Lagos, little Lagos. <laughs> But imagine a time when the word of the Lord was rare. There are no scrolls, right? There's no prophetic voices. There's no, there's no priests and preachers who are standing up and prophesying. Something has happened in this season where the voice of God, the word of God has been so diminished, where the dreamers are no longer having dreams, where those who used to get words of knowledge are no longer hearing anything. Those of you with that gift, imagine of all of a sudden that just dries up for a season. The word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, it goes on to say, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak he could barely see, was laying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. So this is a reference to the time of day. And Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Oh, I love that line. I don't know this for sure, but it seems like, it seems like little Samuel was just so in love with the presence of God. He's like, he's like, Eli, please, can I, can I just put my sleeping bag right here on the ground next to the Ark of the Covenant, next to the holy place? I know I've got a bedroom there on the side, but I just, God's presence is so real right here. Can I just lay here? Because God is so close. I can just see him saying that. He's laying down in this place. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am. He hears a voice. How many of you have heard an audible voice of God? Some of us, not many of us. I've heard the voice of God, not not audibly, but clearly in my own heart. And it was was kind of earth-shattering for me in that moment. I've never heard it like that before. Samuel hears something. He thinks it's Eli. He says, I'm here. What's up? He rose to Eli and says, here I am, you called me. Eli says, uh, no I didn't, go back to sleep and leave me alone. So he goes and he lays down and hears the voice again. The Lord said, Samuel, he gets up. Samuel runs to Eli, says, you called. Father Eli, you called. And so He says, I didn't call you, buddy, you're dreaming. Go back to sleep. Third time. Now Samuel, listen to this. Verse 7, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Isn't that interesting? He's so close to the presence. He's ministering before the Lord, but he doesn't yet know, encounter. He's not yet encountered. That's a Hebrew word. Yadah means to encounter. It doesn't mean know. It means to experience something, someone, you know, intimately, relationally. So he's not yet known the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. What does that mean? It means it's going to be very soon. Third time, the Lord says, Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you call me. Eli finally says, okay, buddy, something's going on. I think you're hearing the Lord. Go back to sleep. If it happens again, get up and say, speak, the Lord, your servant is listening. Samuel says, okay, I'll do that. Guess what happens? The Lord says, Samuel. Samuel two times. Samuel says, Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And then something happens in these next moments. It's almost a test. God is looking for a prophetic voice in that generation. I've got somebody that wants my presence. I've got somebody that will minister to my heart. Do I have somebody that will speak my truth? And the Lord gives young Samuel, a boy, a very, very, very hard word to deliver. Judgment against Eli. Judgment against his proverbial father. Judgment against his proverbial brothers. Samuel lay down. The, the, the word comes. He lays down. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision. Probably didn't sleep at all that night. Probably wept a few tears. The weight of the word of the Lord upon his heart. But Eli calls him and says, Samuel, my son, tell me, tell me what God said. And in that moment, Samuel has a decision to make. Do I speak the full counsel of God or do I give in to my own fear and comfort? Despite his fear, he says all of it. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. In that moment, something happened in Samuel's life. That small yes will catapult him into a prophetic destiny that shapes the nation for generations to come. And here's how I know that. Verse 19, the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh and there he revealed himself to Samuel through what? Through his word. And the word begins to blossom and flourish like grass after a drought in the fresh rainstorm. Why? Because he found in Samuel someone that he could trust and someone that would say yes to him wholeheartedly. Worship team, come on up. Please, if you would, sorry. My wife reminds me to be polite and to say please. Three ingredients for raising prophetic sons and daughters. Three ingredients. Very simple. Number one, nearness. I want this for my children. I want this for myself. I want this for you. Nearness to God. We can have nothing if we are not close to the heart of God. Psalm 7328 says this, but as for me, it is good to be near to God. You guys know what nearness to God feels like? I don't feel it all the time. But when I do, it's 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 powerful. Sometimes the presence is prompted by being outside in that special Kentucky light at about 5:30 in the afternoon in April or May or June when it just saturates everything with color and I feel the presence of God so closely. Sometimes it's being in a worship service like this where the music is so powerful and the anointing and this corporate worship is so real that I just feel like God is right next to me. Sometimes it's looking at my children, holding their faces, seeing it, and All of a sudden I feel like God is standing right beside me and say, see, I love you that much. As much as you love them, I love you, Brad. Sometimes when it's in the word and something just comes alive to me, sometimes it's when it's in prayer and meditation, the nearness of God. If you've not experienced that, press in for it. Ask God for it. Ask God to bring you in. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You guys can go ahead and be playing whatever you want. It's fine. Draw near to God, says James. Take steps his direction take some steps his direction and God is going God's going to move too God's going to come your way when you draw near to him he wants it he wants to be near to you nearness the first ingredient second ingredient listening listening if we're near then we can hear can we do it now Let's do this for just a few seconds. Close your eyes. Let's do this together. Close your eyes. Ask God. Say, God, how do you feel about me? How do you feel about me right now? How do you feel about my family? God, how much do you love me? Father, who do you want to minister to through me? And how can I how can I partner with you? How can I join with you, Lord, in what you're doing? Just listen. Just listen. It's a skill. It's a discipline. Hmm. So nearness, listening. And finally, it's easy. It's the doing. It's the obeying. James also says, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers only. God wants a prophetic generation that is near to his heart, that hears his voice, and that says, here I am, send me. Yes, yes, yes to you, Lord. Come on, let's stand up together. I want us just to minister before the Lord. I want us to do this together. If you want to respond to God in any way up at the front, this is, a, this is our threshing floor, our altar space. Come on and just do, do whatever you, if God is moving you this way, come on. If we can pray with you, if Megan or I can pray with you or others can pray with you, we're up here at the front. I'll be right up here to this side. Let's just move into a time of worship and response. We listen to his heart, listen to his voice. Ask him those same questions again. Go deeper in, stay, wait until you hear. Wait until you hear, because he wants to say some things to you. So, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we're on the floor by your presence. We're like the young boy Samuel. We're just going to wait here and listen to you, because we want to be near you. And some of us, like Samuel, have not encountered you yet, but we want to, and you're drawing us in. Come, Holy Spirit, Jesus.